Hello and welcome to the Politics on Draft podcast with me, James Tabor. And me, Kartik Sawney. Today is the Monday, the 5th of September, also known as Judgment Day. Some might call it Apocalypse Day. And we're here talking about the big news that we now have a new prime minister. Uh, We're very excited. We've been chewing the fat all day about it and we want to talk about it. So we're going to go straight into it. um, And but before that, we're going to ask Kartik, what are you drinking? Um, I'm just having uh, some well i was gonna say some beer i'm having some peroni um because i was craving a beer over the weekend but i didn't have one and now i'm having one what about you i am having a nero davola shiraz from sicily um and it's very very nice and yeah i actually got it quite cheap um i got it from waitrose so go and get oh, that i thought you would have got up. something I, th- I thought i thought you would have given us something from your holiday uh no no i kind of drunk all that immediately um wow okay but yeah uh so yeah big up waitrose go and get some sicilian wine um but we're gonna go straight into the current affairs and we're going to start off uh with the news that russia has decided to close its pipeline so if you didn't know what has happened is that um russia has decided to close its uh one of its biggest uh, gas pipelines nord stream one which uh runs to germany and then kind of filters off to the rest of europe and uh and the uk now they've stated that it is due to a gas leak and some maintenance work that it needs uh doing uh europe have come back and labeled this as blackmail and have said that it's completely not maintenance related and that uh they're just doing it effectively to get sanctions lifted um and they've actually come back and admitted yes we want sanctions lifted but they have said it's due to the fact that the maintenance needed doing requires a part that they can't get to them because of the sanctions imposed by them by uh, the european union so uh is the problem russia or is it europe's reliance on russia russian gas despite historically known issues with Putin. Uh, Kartik, what do you think about this issue? It's quite an interesting dynamic, isn't it? Because we have to think about, number one, is it about our reliance? And a lot of people would say yes. But we also have to link in the energy crisis that's happening in the UK at the moment, which has turned into a massive topic, especially for the incoming prime minister. Because Mm. energy bills are rising significantly. What kind of support do we offer? And what kind of home support do we offer that actually has an impact on our foreign policy. It's a very, very interesting discussion to have, and we could dedicate hours and hours and hours on this. So, yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't, I, I'm not confident enough to say whose fault is it, but it, we, we anticipated this issue from from Russia a while ago, and and Liz Truss was asked, and and Rishi Sunak was asked multiple times throughout the leadership uh, contest. You know, what happens if Putin just decides to turn the taps off over the winter? What are you going to do then? And unfortunately, neither of them had a good enough answer, in my opinion. So, yeah, Yeah. we'll come on to that, though. Now, Europe is going to suffer more than the UK. I'm pretty sure Germany is either like nearly 100 percent or just about lower uh, reliant on that gas pipe. So I'm not sure what's going to happen there. Uh, I think Europe are definitely going to struggle. Um, I don't think as much with the UK, but definitely is going to cause some problems uh the the pound has actually dropped to the lowest level since 1985 um so yeah there's some there's going to be some really big problems uh but the thing is we we say europe is going to struggle more but because france is uh, for example france and germany have introduced a cap on energy prices the citizens itself the citizens themselves are not suffering as much as UK citizens are. So it's an interesting dynamic. I'm sure the economy, yeah. if, you, if we look at a, a macroeconomic perspective, then it's a, it's a different angle. But from a citizen perspective, the UK is going to suffer much, much more than Europe. Mm. Yeah, I think all, all Europe have got to do is rely on the various different reserves that they might have or, um, you know, the different stuff that they might have Um in sort of back storage or whatever, however you want to call that. We've got, I don't know what the, the term is for, for gas. But anyway, we're going to move on to another uh, Russian-related topic, which is, uh, the as the West are proclaiming it, the unfortunate death of Mikhail Gorbachev, um, or Gorbachev, who, uh, died Gorbachev. Gorbachev, who died at the age of 91. 
Uh, and if you don't know who Mikhail Gorbachev was, he was uh, the last leader of uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, and he was revered amongst the West because he worked with the likes of, uh, with Thatcher, with the likes of, uh, I think it was Reagan at the time, and uh, effectively mm -hmm. uh, was the one who peacefully disbanded the Union and uh, successfully ended the Cold War, if you believe that the Cold War has ended. I know there's a very big argument that it hasn't, uh, or that it's going to restart again. Um, now, he's revered amongst the West because obviously he would be because it was the West versus Russia at the time. Uh, not the same rhetoric amongst Russia uh, for for two in two different facets. The first one is that uh, the state decided not to give him a state funeral, so it was a private funeral, mm -hmm. um, and obviously that's quite that's quite big. But also, one might argue that it wasn't in line with sort of political discourse. But actually, um, there's very widespread agreement in Russian society that Gorbachev caused a lot of economic chaos after the Cold War because obviously you know Russia were in this big powerful economic position and that pretty much dismantled after um, after the uh, disbanding of the Union which resulted in a lot of social disparity which we see today and so Gorbachev's death has come with a lot of mixed um, feelings I was going to ask you your opinion on it but I don't think you can really give an opinion on a death but um, I, I no, guess you can't but I, I had an interesting discussion with a Ukrainian friend about what she thought uh, about the death of Mikhail Gorbachev. And she said, to be honest, we don't really associate with characters of the USSR whatsoever. So she didn't really have an opinion. She said, well, he was 91, he died a natural death. But it was interesting uh, from the state funeral perspective and sort of the internal politics of Russia. Um, a lot of people are saying that he he wasn't given a state funeral because Putin doesn't want to come out of his large city bunker. <laughs> and that he's quite paranoid about having a state funeral because it could mean an assassination for him perhaps so th there's been a lot of conjecture surrounding it but um that's the, that's the news that Mikhail Gorbachev has died age 91. yeah and uh I mean, no matter no matter what your position a a anyone anyone sort of dying due to natural causes is obviously a, a very a very tragic uh thing but it's just interesting to kind of hear the discourse especially coming from a country uh like Russia who are kind of uh, you know, revere the idea of nobility and kind of loyalty and stuff. And, you know, I guess in his own way, he was loyal to Russia, but in a much sort of more revolutionary way than he was at the time. Um, and I'm sure uh, Putin might have some sort of thoughts on Gorbachev himself, but unfortunately that doesn't matter anymore. Um, the next piece, uh, we spoke about him last week and the week before, but we're going to do it now again. And that is Trump investigation continues because... Uh, the BBC reported that uh, 11,000 documents uh, were, re were retrieved in total uh, from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, some of them were marked uh, confidential in his storage room uh, and have been sort of labelled as, although obviously not properly uh, stored in the correct facilities that they should have been stored, not kind of terrible in the grand scheme of things. But in his office, seven were marked top secret and effectively lying around. Um, now, Trump denies wrongdoing, uh, and, but obviously last week, Kartik uh, uh, very clearly talked about the gross negligence caveat, uh, which is very important. Um, and prosecutors are now stating that Trump did not hand over the documents voluntarily, and as a result of that, likely concealed some of the documents that have been found in order to ob obstruct the investigation. Now, this is huge news, um, be it that it goes completely beyond the idea of gross negligence and moves on to the ground of, you know, obstruction of justice, which is, you know, is very, 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 very bad. And we much more punishable. Yeah, much more punishable. And so last week we spoke about whether or not Trump might be able to kind of have a positive spin from all of this. But it seems like as, as much as, as as this investigation goes on, we're finding out more and more things. And I'm starting to think to myself, surely he can't come back from that. Kartik? So from a gross negligence perspective, I think the government and the FBI and the DOJ, in fact, were largely interested in just retrieving the documents and putting them in a secure facility. But now if it comes on to the if if it comes on to the uh, subject of not handing over documents voluntarily and concealing some documents, then I think at that point, the government, the DOJ and the FBI will start thinking about pressing charges. So no matter what the political impact of this could be, 
which at the moment for Trump is likely positive, the legal impact might well get him if he doesn't sort of get the correct legal advice. So it's it's a developing story. We're going to see what happens. We're going to try to avoid talking about him every week. But um, it's very, very interesting. It is. And it does feel like that every week something new does happen and it feels pretty much impossible to not talk about it because he you know he's such a polarizing character um but but thankfully this week he has been completely overridden by our next topic did you know kartik we've got a new prime minister tomorrow i didn't know uh, i really didn't i don't follow <laughs> the news that much i really yeah. you know i'm not that well read uh, not really don't really care about politics that much either oh okay right yeah that makes sense yeah but we'll come on to her after the break so, over the last two months, two idiots have gone head to head about who should lead their group of twats. And subsequently, by the prime <laughs> <laughs> sorry. <laughs> uh, uh, and subsequently then be the prime minister. Idiot number one, let's call him Rishi, can't shut up about making millions of pounds and dollars working in the city and in California. He also can't shut up about what his mummy used to do. Idiot number two, let's call her Liz, hates foreign cheese and can barely string a sentence together. What do you think about them, James? I mean, that was a pretty interesting way of uh, of doing it. And uh, by the way, for, for context, uh, Kartik did actually uh, brief me that he was going to use a pretty interesting way to <laughs> to describe them. So uh, I thought that was actually quite tame in comparison to what I was potentially thinking. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that pretty much sums up the, the entirety of uh, this contest. It's been... Uh, pretty abysmal in terms of you know who you can choose between um and yeah so we've got liz and she's going to open up her new port markets and she's gonna you know talk about how she hates foreign cheese and uh oh do you know the thing i'm just the most thing i'm looking forward to is just seeing how she fares this week uh, in Prime Minister's questions, I think it's going to be very fun. Abysmal, which, funnily enough, will will take place four hours after this gets released. Um, so you'll have to wait a week <laughs> for our reactions for it. Um, which, by that point, will probably be old news, and you know, she might not even be in Prime Minister. That's how we'll, we'll, uh, we'll pick up some sound bites. <laughs> but anyway, so Liz Truss has been chosen by members to be the leader of the Conservative Party and subsequently the Prime Minister once the Queen asks her to form a government, which is likely to be on the day before this podcast goes out. The media is already discussing a comeback for Boris Johnson after we've spent the last two months trying to find a replacement for him, which makes it seem like the last two months have been a complete waste of time. Um, but she was elected by a very, very interesting margin, James. Uh, yes. I'm sure you've seen the numbers. She was elected by 57% of the Conservative membership. Now that's about 81,000 votes and 60,000 votes for Rishi. Now this is the smallest margin any Conservative leader mm. has won from since the members ballot has been called in. And so number one, that shows how divided the Conservative Party is in terms of its members. Then if you look at the, the caveat of the, the MPs actually chose Rishi Sunak Mm. Over, well, not they didn't actively choose Rishi Sunak, but Rishi Sunak got more votes than Liz Truss or had more MPs than Liz Truss uh, at the time. So it's showing a divide in the membership and it's showing a divide between the membership and the MPs. And in my opinion, the Conservative Party has never been more divided as it has now. What do you think about that, James? No, um, I, I completely agree. Uh, it's incredibly divided and... Uh, I think it's really, really bad. And what she does, every policy, everything that she does from now on, it, it, I, I, in my opinion, should be heavily based in the conversation of what does this mean for the Conservative Party and not just what it means for the country? Because this is very, very big. And I've spoke to, I've spoke to Tory members and I've spoke to them about my particular opinion, which is that I think for the benefit of the Tory party, and this is speaking from an outside perspective, uh, for the benefit of the Tory party, they should actually be in opposition for a while so they can kind of, I, I guess, reconstruct their identity and do that kind of whole whole stage again because it's much more easy to rebuild when you're not in a governmental position um but yeah i mean it's such a small margin uh, well i say such a small yeah it's it, it's a small margin and um it does show the fact that you've got 
you know the the membership base who are going against the the will of the MPs. Now we 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 have to assume that the MPs voted in exactly the same way, and uh, that there were some people that decided to go you know for different ways. And uh, to be fair, we can never truly you know if uh, everybody voted in line with how they did in prior um, prior ballot rounds. Um, but yeah, so it it is very divided and. I guess we just have to kind of see what happens. One thing I, d I did want to bring up was I, I was speaking to a, a young member of the uh, of the Tory party and I asked him, you know, his reaction. And he was a Liz Truss uh, supporter. And he said that... Was this the one that turned up in a metre long top? <laughs> no, it wasn't. Um, but but he said that a lot of his... A lot of his um, friends who are also members of the... Uh, Tory party um, at a young age uh, are considering defecting to Reform UK because they feel oh. as if all the people that voted for Liz Truss are those individuals we spoke about in prior episodes who effectively said well I like the idea of a tax cut because it does good for me now it may completely throw future generations under the bus but it's good for me now and a lot of young Tory MPs believe, one, obviously it's their future that's on the line here. Um, and obviously that they're not going to be in favour of kind of that sort of policy. Um, but also that they feel as if that they've actually not got a sort of a really supportive government from the actual parliamentary MPs. And that is going to cause even more, mm -hmm. even more divide for the party. Um, Talk to a lot, so Karthik, you go and talk about something now. <laughs> no, I, I see what you're saying, but I also think that the MPs have tried. You, you, we've seen a lot of MPs jump ship from Rishi Sunak's campaign to Liz Truss's campaign mm. in order to see, it seem like they're more in line with the membership. Yeah. But I think their true sensibilities are still with Rishi Sunak. But what I want to outline is how much worse, worse, not worse, worse she is than Johnson. Mm. At the moment, we're faced with a, with a much more severe cost of living crisis than we were previously. But she's proudly offering much less support than he was. So, for example, I'm going to go into the numbers here. I know I, know I said we won't do too many numbers, but I'm going to do some numbers here. Russia's tax cuts will benefit the richest 10%, 10 times more than they will the poorest 10%. Something which she believes is right. And she believes that the wealthy are more likely to pay tax, which we know to be false the wealthy inherently don't pay more tax and in fact they use their profound legal service uh, uh, legal resources to avoid paying tax but she gives the people who need the most help a promise of 76p a month in tax cuts less than boris's new kettle plan by the way which would save 83p <laughs> At the peak of the energy crisis and rising energy bills, Liz Truss states that she has no issues when energy firms uh, are making re record profits because making profits is not evil. And I would say that when families are choosing between heating their homes or feeding their children, i.e. freezing to death or dying of hunger, then making, a re then making record profits may just be a little bit evil. James, what do you think about that? Yeah, um, so... I, you know, I can I, I agree firstly with the fact that I don't believe that her tax cuts are beneficial both from an economic perspective and from a social perspective. You've spoken about the the social perspective and the fact that um, you know the richest ten percent will be getting big tax cuts, and those who may not even they may not even be on enough money to justify tax won't get any tax. So really their position stays the same. Whereas those who are earning big, big, big sums of money obviously will get tax mm -hmm. breaks. Um, but the economic perspective is also very interesting because I just feel this real sense of deja vu with the beginning of the 2010 uh, Conservative Party, where it's like, we're going to tax less and as a result of this big, big spendage that's going to be happening due to these tax cuts, I just feel there's only one thing that's going to happen, and that's austerity. And it just yeah, becomes... We a, said that a couple of episodes. Yeah, ago. and it's 
it's this cyclical thing where you know if you're if you're you know no one is suggesting that you know in the long run we shouldn't be lowering tax well some some people out there might say that we should have quite high taxation and they have their reasons for that but i think at this moment because of um disposable income being so low at the moment due to fuel price due to uh, vat due to national insur- uh, uh, ni rates going up as well i think a lot of people are obviously wanting a tax break but a lot of people are or a tax cut but a lot of people are understanding that it's just not the time for it because we need that money in our public services because you you're not getting that money in that public services and then we've got Mm. to borrow and then we borrow and then that creates more debt and then the only way we can pay off that debt is by then taking the money out of those Mm. services so then we'll have an even more stressed nhs in years to come we'll have an even more stressed education where we spoke about the disparities between uh between public and private um we're going to have an even more stressed police service, which is, you know, struggling to keep up with high crime rates as as a result of post post COVID financial stresses. Just one of the um, facets that's driving up crime at the moment. So, her policy, from an economic perspective, just simply doesn't make sense. Now, she says about making profits is not evil, and just to provide, I guess, a little bit of balance in this. I, I don't think anyone's actually suggests. No one's saying that a company isn't able to make uh, able to make profit. But we shouldn't be in a situation like you said, where families are choosing mm-hmm. between heating their homes or feeding their children. The head of Shell, she said that he's making too much profit from this. <laughs> I, they're making they're making so much profit they literally don't know what to do with it. So so yeah. So so no one is suggesting that you know the the fact that they're making profits you know is evil but it shouldn't be that heating their home like choosing between heating homes and feeding their children should be happening and as the leader or as the um chairman or the owner of shell has said he's got too much profit to deal with he doesn't know what to do with this profit and because he's under a posi- no position of accountability you know w- as a public we can't actually expect them to be like oh yeah we're just gonna like throw it you know or not throw it but we're not gonna give it away because they're not, no, of under not. public so that's that's the business the of course their, their, their goal is to make profit but then it's the it's, it's the job of the state to Ooh. to act for the public which the state clearly and and that's my worry as, as to why i think she'll be much worse is because she's not acting for people I think with Boris Johnson, at least there was an element where he cared so much about Boris Johnson himself that if there was so much pressure upon his policy that he would he would change it. I think Liz Truss, I don't think she, she cares that much about herself. I think she does care about herself a lot considering she's manoeuvred herself into this position. But I think she also cares about the people around her a lot more than Boris Johnson did. So if, if people around her pressure her into a certain policy that benefits a business or benefits a, a certain group of very, very wealthy people, I think she'd easily fold into that. I don't think she cares about how she looks to the public. I, yeah. Mark, Marcus Rashford led an amazing campaign to get free school meals for kids. A campaign which, in my opinion, he never should have had to hold in the first place. I mean, it's pretty fucking obvious that you should feed starving children. You know, yeah. that's, the, that's the basic rule of being in politics. Feed the kids, feed the people, heat the ki- uh, heat the kids, and heat the people. Mm. Not in a cooking way, but in terms of keeping them warm. Absolutely. I don't. I don't think Liz Truss would fall to any public pressure about feeding children because her her idol is Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Now, I want to ask you, James. Have you watched The Crown? Yes, I have watched. So yes, the Crown. Or no question. Yeah. Do you remember the scene where the intruder breaks into the Queen's into Buckingham Palace? Yes, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. Now, obviously, a lot of that was fictional. It happened, but a lot of that was fictional. The speech itself was fictional. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when he was, when when Fagan, his name was, when Fagan was discussing what Margaret Thatcher had done, saying unemployment is at an all time high, I don't, I don't know where to go. And the Queen said, "Well, the state will take care of you." And he'll mm. say, "What state?" She's completely dismantled it. And I think that's what we are heading. You, you asked me about the NHS. You asked me about austerity. She is going to completely dismantle the state, in my opinion. She does not care. And 
She wants to put people to work. She wants to have 50 hour contracts. She wants to take away a lot of rights that workers have. She, apparently, well, which uh, so, something that Rishi Sunak revealed in uh, the hustings, that it's a manifesto promise that to get rid of strikes for public sector workers or essential services. Now that's an essential right to be able to mm. campaign for your own workers' rights. And they're taking that away from the public sector or essential services. Now that's a massive, that links into our topic last week as well of democracy. That's a massive mm. threat to our democracy. But what do you think about that? Absolutely. Yeah, so I think that we are potentially leading towards a quiet, withdrawn state and i don't want to say luckily because it's not luckily but um but liz will have the backing of jacob reese mock has been a firm believer of that as well and has uh com completely decided to withdrawn withdraw the um the role of the of the civil service and uh also quite annoyingly uh get rid of the um the graduate scheme for the civil service, which in my opinion is economically stupid because you could just get rid of long-term economic supply, uh, which is something that an economy consistently needs in order to, you know, act in a sufficient manner. Um, but yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I completely agree that I, I think that we are heading towards a potential factor or, or rather she will emulate this kind of sense of Thatcherism and I, I don't know, it's, it feels really dystopian because I, I, I've always learned about Thatcher in this kind of mm. like, oh, it happened back then, but it's not happening now. Whereas it mm. is, it happened then and it probably is going to happen now, or at least is going to try and act under the ruse of what uh, 1979 to 1990 was like. Mm. And that feels really weird. It's me. it's weird that you say dystopian because I saw um, I don't know if you saw this mm. on social media. This morning was uh, having a, a wheel of prizes, and at multiple points on that wheel, it was to pay for four months of energy bills. Yeah, I know. But everyone was saying that's very Black Mirror. Yeah, and that's really scary. It's, that's terrifying. It's, it's really really odd and. I, yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't. To be honest, I looked at that. I had to. I had to look at it twice. I was so weirded out by that, and couldn't believe that it's got to this point where instead of relying on our government, we now have to rely on Philip Schofield and Holly Willoughby to to to, to give it's out <laughs> to, to to help us with our energy bills. Um, yeah, yeah, and then there was that stupid. Oh, I can't believe she's getting back into politics and getting back into the limelight. Bloody Edwina Curry telling us in the winter to put tinfoil on our windows to keep in the heat. <laughs> did you see? Did you see Martin Lewis's yeah, face? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I just I was watching that and I thought I do not believe it. I mean, why is she back in on the scene? I know we talked about John Major uh, last week and. Uh, I know that him and Edwina Curry were a bit too close for comfort for anyone's liking, but um, oh, God, I don't know why she's back. So I want to come on to last one last uh, point before we come on to the discussion of who's going to be in Liz Truss's cabinet. Mm. And I, I also sort of want to, so we'll just get right into it. So she won't be appointing an ethics advisor. So mm. the last one, as a sort of precursor to this, to this discussion. The last one, Lord Gite, resigned. Now, BBC News said that the resignation was due to a request for advice on a trade issue that had left him with no choice but to quit. Gite believed that he was asked to advise on an issue that he believed would be a deliberate breach of the ministerial code. Gite, this, these are Gite's words, by the way. So this request has placed me in an impossible and odious position. He wrote the con, he wrote, the concept that the Prime Minister might to any, de in any degree be in the business of deliberately breaching his own code is an affront. That would amount to suspending the code to a political end. This would make a mockery not only for the respect of the code, but license the suspension of its provisions in governing the con conduct conduct of her, of her Majesty's Ministers. I can have no part in this. Now, Liz Truss, after 
after being a part of that government, after being a part of that law-breaking government, feels that she does not need to appoint one uh, because she doesn't need one because she trusts herself not to break the law. Truss is so sure she won't break the law that she won't allow someone to make sure she doesn't. Also, she says, whilst not appointing an ethics advisor, she says she will scrap all investiga investigations into law-breaking by Boris Johnson and his government. What do you think about that, James? Yeah, so there's a few issues with it. Well, obviously, it's a, it's a, it's a massive issue in itself, but I'm going to unpack it a little bit. Um, having an ethics advisor gives you a real sense of transparency and gives a sense of due diligence. You know, no, no PM will ever admit to breaking the law you know they just wouldn't um i know we talked about mm. boris being a special case and that there would be potentially some more uh noble prime ministers that might be more inclined to actually admit of their wrongdoing but i don't think any prime minister would do it because obviously they have elections to win and that's just a simple fact mm -hmm. and it was obviously the downfall of boris johnson himself and why i think his party felt that they couldn't he, he couldn't take them into the next election so that, that, that's the first thing is that having an ethics advice but also not everyone every prime minister would break the law exactly yeah F funny enough it feels like it's, it's in fashion at the moment um yeah yeah so that's that's the, that's the first thing uh the second thing is that you know she she says that like she doesn't need one because she doesn't she trusts herself not to break the law now when you've got and we'll get onto the whole who's going to be part of the cabinet. And I fully believe that Swella Bravman is going to be part um, of that cabinet. When you've got Swella Bravman, who, and I said this last week when she was um, attorney general, was literally, instead of, instead of actually owning up to the government and saying to the likes of Boris, you need to stop doing this because it is not against the law. She decided, in, she, because it is against the law, she decided instead that it would be more beneficial to change the law in order to fit the, the, the government agenda, which is a completely ridiculous way to actually go about running a government. It's completely impractical. democracy. Yeah, it's completely against democracy, which, you know, uh, which John Major spoke fluently about. And we spoke about that last week. And this just adds to his his issues. I mean, he was speaking more in terms of um, sort of electoral uh, corruption. But this just adds to his whole, whole overall sort of uh, argument that, we need to try and sort of quell this sense that corruption is almost kind of standard practice or is acceptable in positions of government. Um, and as for the scrapping investigations into law breaking by Boris Johnson and the government, I mean, I mean, that's just, that's, I, I, I think that's just absolutely ridiculous. This is, this is not a case of like, convention it's not a case of standard procedure this is a case of justice and this is the case that if she does that that policy completely and i know the, the news will report this and actually the, the 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 media could be incredibly pivotal into the success of the tory party going into an election but if she does that that will be an absolute insult to not everybody who decided to follow the rules and stay at home and isolate in order to help the NHS. It's an insult mm. to the NHS, and it's an insult to everybody whose life had been taken away from them due to coronavirus and due to mm. the outbreak of that pandemic. And I think she needs to be very careful about what she does there. And on Boris Johnson, a lot of the media is talking about him making a comeback and stuff. How likely do you think that is? To add on to that, about I think twelve MPs have already said to the to the Mirror on Sunday uh, that they would submit a letter of no confidence to try and get Boris Johnson back by Christmas oh, because quote unquote uh, Liz Truss is not very bright. I'm having to pour another another glass of wine because this is such a just I can't believe this is actually happening. Um, so first of all, on that last point that you said about Boris John about Liz Trust not being very bright, I mean, <laughs> heck, I can't believe I'm going to say I actually agree with them. I don't agree with their their uh, proposal or their solution for that to bring back the issue. I mean, I, from a labour perspective. Uh, Kartik, I'm sure you'd love Boris Johnson back because, to be honest, it would just completely no. give a, a, a complete Labour victory. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't no, see, any so, scenario. 
It's, 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 it's quite interesting because about two months ago, I was having a discussion with a very senior academic. I'm sure everyone here knows of uh, Rob Saunders uh, about an article that I was publishing, but we were talking about Boris Johnson resigning and who we think is going to win. And I was saying, well, you know, for me, it would be amazing if Liz Truss won, being a Labour man and, and you know, working with the Labour Party, it'd be, it'd be amazing mm. to see a Labour government come in. But, you know, for the sake of the country, Liz Truss is probably not the best candidate. I didn't quite, that didn't quite click with me. I was still like, well, hey, Liz Truss is going to win and then Keir Starmer's going to be Prime Minister in 2023 slash 2024, depending on when there is an election. Yeah, yeah. But in the last couple of days, the reality has become very, very real that Liz Truss is going to be a Prime Minister for at least a year or two. I think that's why under party, sort of party-based democracy, you still kind of have to humble yourself to the bigger picture, which is just the, you know, the, the duty that, you know, if you are in a political position, the duty you have to society. But I'm going to go back to a point that you asked about Boris Johnson potentially coming back and making a comeback. I don't think he will. But then again, it does also. So, for instance, I don't think he'll be part of the cabinet. And we're going to talk mm-hmm. about the cabinet. I don't think he'll be a part of it. But it depends how you kind of measure what a political comeback is. Because I can imagine him being quite integral as a voice in the backbench. And it also could be quite divisive as well if he's kind of in the backbench and, you know, talking to his his fellow colleagues also in the backbench going, oh, yeah, I wouldn't have done it like this and stuff like that. So he just has to measure. <laughs> he just has to kind of be very, very careful. I, I, I've been very as much as I can, can critique her to the cows come home about uh, various different things that she did. I've been very impressed with how Theresa May has um, has sort of presented herself or taken to the role of a backbench MP after being the Prime Minister in that she... Yeah, I, I don't think Boris Johnson would, would do it that well. No. Um, I think Boris Johnson, if... if Well, apparently he's he's going to lose his seat in the next election. Um, yeah, but if, I heard this as well. If if he doesn't, or, well, sorry, if he does, I think he'll just go back to writing newspaper and having newspapers um, or editing newspapers and having very lucrative contracts. He, he with already is. He already is. I'm pretty sure he. No, I know he is, but uh, I think he'll start doing that full time. Um, but yeah, that, that's what I think he'd do. So, Karthik, we're going to talk about the cabinet discussions uh, in terms of who we think's going to get in. But before we do that, I think we need to talk about who's come out. Not of the closet, but of the yes, <laughs> <laughs> not of the closet. Yeah. Um, not of the closet, but out of the cabinet. That's quite that's quite a good line, actually. I'm yeah. sorry I interrupted you there. But, um, yeah, Priti Patel has resigned. Uh, she says she wants to return to the back benches. Now, we don't know whether she's resigned out of her own goodwill. Uh, it is goodwill because she was the worst Home Secretary that I can ever think of since before Theresa May. Um, and, yeah, so she's resigned and she's going to return to the back benches. I don't know if she's been forced out, but, yeah. What do you reckon? Who do you think is going to be Home Secretary? So... Before uh, before I, I reveal who I think is going to be, and I'm I'm pretty confident it's going to be based on discussions that I've heard from different people and uh, from people who have talked to me about this. Um, I want to say that from stuff that I've heard is that effectively, what Liz has done is said to her, "Look, there's going to be a shuffle, and I don't think you're going to be included in that," and she has basically gone and said and i might be i mean look i can i can this is all speculation but effectively pretty has said well i will do my thing and i'll return to the back benches and uh i think also she was very instrumental in in boris's uh in boris's kind of success if that's how you want to label it and so i doubt that she would kind of want to continue that seeing that boris has left but, but anyway, but moving on to the successor, because I no, suppose that's... I, I want to pick up on one point that he said, and I think it leads to quite an interesting discussion about the type of cabinet that she'd have. Because if she's if she's basing the cabinet off of who she thinks is a threat to her leadership, Ooh. then that could be interesting. If she's basing it off of people who were quite good in the Boris cabinet, because Boris and Liz aren't far off each other. They, they're quite bad. Well, from my perspective, they're quite bad uh, equally. 
even though I think Liz is a bit worse. So looking from an outside perspective, you'd, you'd expect the cabinet to stay exactly the same. But is she is she putting it is she putting the people in cabinet because she thinks there won't be a threat to her leadership, oh. or is she putting it in putting them in because she thinks it's genuine they're genuinely good. So I think she's actually going for effectively what, kind of what Boris did as well, and that, that is uh, she's going to employ yes men and women. Putting um, in the shit so that she it, doesn't yeah, really Effectively, the people that are always going to say yes to her. Now, you can yeah. say that Boris did that, but equally quite key members of that cabinet actually resigned in the end. Now, you can argue it was because of their own political gains, such as Rishi Sunak. It's not worked out for him, but well, I also do think that Rishi Sunak probably will end up uh, being in a position of power at some point in the future, depending on how Liz Truss does. In I reckon. Uh, yeah, I do think that. But I, I think, think he's going to get an offered a position. Uh, I don't think he'll get uh, offered a position. I think it'd be good if he did. Not, uh, I say good, like not that I particularly um that like fussed about what happens really. But I think, for the sake of the Conservative Party, I think it would be good for him to have a position because it shows a level of unifying mm. that I don't think. Uh, if you just you go for to... it. He I seems to be doing a lot for the sake of the Conservative Party. Are you, nah, are you saying you're a Conservative? Nah, nah, nah. No, I'm just trying to give the balance. You said that quite a few times this, you, uh, this you podcast. Give your, you give your Labour, I'll, I guess, advocate on behalf of the Tories, which I feel awful for. So are you saying you're playing devil's advocate? Because that's not a good position I'm either. I'm always James. playing devil's advocate. I'm going to ask you a question. I'm going to ask you a question. You've asked me who Go I on. think that the uh, who's going to replace uh, Priti Patel, and that is Swella Bravman. And if that doesn't fill you with um, uh, more dread than the fact that Priti Patel was the uh, was the uh, Home Secretary, then I don't know what does because Swella Braverman terrifies me. And I know she's not the Attorney General, which effectively means she's not going to be in a sort of like legislative power position. But the fact that she's going to be dictating the sort of immigration policy that mm -hmm. I'm convinced she's just going to try and get through that Rwanda policy because she was the person who was trying to kind of go through the legal caveats in order to try and get that through. Uh, yeah. And I just, I, I don't particularly like her and I think she's, well, she's quite thick as well, but um, I, I could see Jacob Rees-Mogg wanting home secretary as well. I think he'd want to, and he think he, I think he'd think he'd be quite good at it. Uh, although I think a lot of people are saying he's going to go to business because the current and, uh, business secretary is being tipped is going to be the chancellor, and that yeah. is uh, Quasi Quarteng. Quarteng. Um, yeah, I, I can I can see Quasi Quarteng being um, chancellor because I've I've heard rumours that they Liz Truss and Quasi Quarteng have had a quite a quite a close relationship in the past, but we won't delve into that hey, well, anymore. Uh, as much as this close relationship with Am. Rudd, which I believe still exists, or it might not exist. Um, well, let's not get sued for libel yeah. in this episode. Um, but foreign, who do you think is going to go for foreign? And I please don't tell me it's Jane Cleverly because yeah, I've heard it so many no. times and I wanted to shoot myself just well, as many times. What as I actually, now. what I actually want to do is I want to completely. Basically, I do think he will be, but mm -hmm. what I think, and the Foreign Office has a real potential gem in its hands if they appoint him and that's tom tugendhat remember that guy um yeah i do remember that guy i think tom tugendhat has to has to be a part of this government because mm -hmm. not only was it the fact that i actually think that he did you know i think he spoke really well within the various different hustings and debates that existed mm-hmm but I, I believe... I think he was the least bad of the candidate. I wouldn't say he spoke well. No, I, I, I disagree with that. I did think... I think he did... I think he did speak well. And I think he spoke... Okay. A sense, I think he spoke a sense of um, transparency, which is something that has lacked. And he was very... And you can, you can argue that this was due to his own political campaign. But he was very transparent mm -hmm. in saying that the conversations that have happened between various members... And I didn't see many other... Um, any other candidates really kind of delving into what other um PMs would say. I know stuff kind of came out of the different camps, but actually comparing that to what the individual candidate said. But mm. to go back to what I was going to say, he has been, I think it's tipped for potential um foreign uh office role. Or if not, I think it might have been security. 
in defence. Okay. Which I think defence um, players. I, I would. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think it would be if if we're going off the model for Liz Trust to sort of get rid of all the really really good people in defence, then she'd want to get rid of Ben Wallace because he's quite popular and he could be tipped for a future leader, and he, as he has been. I could also see strangely Rishi Sunak at foreign really? if he is offered it because you know the the rule of thumb with foreign office with the foreign office is you you put someone in there who you want to send around, send away for half the year so they can't do any political campaigning at home obviously that didn't work for the last two foreign secretaries because it was Liz Truss and then it was Boris Johnson who were both prime ministers uh but I think there was a foreign secretary in the middle uh, there as well that didn't become a prime minister. But recently, foreign secretaries have become prime ministers. But I could see Rishi Sunak there if she wants to send Rishi Sunak on a trip halfway around the world. I could see Ben Wallace there. I could see James Cleverly there. Um, as much as I'd hate to see James Cleverly there, I think he's yeah. very stupid. Um, health, who do you reckon? This is a weird one. At one point, it was actually... I, I, I've heard rumours about potentially Rishi getting offered, um, offered health. Uh, uh, like, I think I may have heard something about maybe Steve Baker because wasn't he quite a big news? Uh, yeah, I can see Steve Baker. I can I can see Rishi Sunak. They don't really make health a priority in the Conservative Party, so uh, yeah, we'll we, see. We, we spoke about Rees-Mogg being uh, business. The interesting one I've I've looked on this is education because it's been tipped that Kemi Badnock for education. Yeah, she said they said she was going to get a cabinet role, so I could, I could see Kemi Badnock education. Mm. Um, I'm quite interested to see where Jacob Rees-Mogg goes. Uh, I think he's, everyone said business. I think he could be in the cabinet office because he's had quite a significant role in the last couple of years in the Conservative Party, sort of whipping everyone into shape and having a massive opinion, um, as much as I hate his fucking opinions. Uh, so I could see him in the cabinet office. Um yeah, it'd be quite interesting to see. You've labelled two other transport. I have no idea who would get transport. I, I mean, because uh, Grant Shapps was a um, he was a, a Sunak supporter, wasn't he? Yeah. So I, I, the reason why I put transport in there is because I think it's going to be quite a big policy yeah, for yeah, yeah, Liz yeah. Truss to to do all the union bashing. So I think she's going to put a really really hard right winger in transport it could be anyone but i can tell you it's going to be horrible could even be nadine dorries because a lot of people have said that she's going to leave dcms which is the Depart department of culture media and sports so um I've, I've got i've got a fair few dealings with dcms so i mm -hmm. um i'm not going to talk about where but uh dcms it's it's bizarre because obviously currently we've got uh, a few different things, the online safety bill and the data protection bill um, coming in from DCMS. And she's been very instrumental with both of them. And it's been, I, I believe it's a manifesto pledge, but also it's been something that's been fairly well mandated in political discourse. So part of me reckons that actually Nadine Doris might keep that role as um the culture secretary just because yeah. just because it would because most of the current agenda is so based in doris uh doris land doris land uh which i mean like not that i think that's a good thing i think nadine doris is one of the worst just the fact that she holds a public office role is completely ridiculous but anyway I can't um, see you on camera, but I know you're covering your face just thinking about Nadine Dorries. But anyway, I was, I was, I was. But one, <laughs> one, one role you didn't put in there, uh, which has been fairly speculated and not confirmed, but basically said this is probably likely going to happen, is the chief whip position, which obviously came under a lot of scrutiny after deputy whip was kind of one of the big downfalls of Boris Johnson's career, Chris Pincher, with the very unfortunate name. And yeah. uh, the person tipped for chief whip is uh, Theresa Coffey. Um, I mean, because if, if if you ever want a big authoritative figure in the position of chief whip, uh, little petite Theresa Coffey is uh, 
I wouldn't say she's petite, but um But a lot of people have also said Boris Johnson for Chief Whip because he can get the party together. Sorry, what? He can put the party yep. together. <laughs> I mean he's fucking disbanded it pretty much. How is he gonna put the party back together? Well, no, apparently he could whip people into shape. I've, I've had a lot of people say Boris, Boris Johnson for chief whip. But anyway, this is all entirely, entirely speculative. And we can update you next week when the actual cabinet is together. And we can pick it apart uh, in the current affairs section, probably, because I'm not going to spend any more time <laughs> talking about this because it's hurting my oh. mental health, to be completely transparent. But yeah, other than that, what's, what's your, you know, trust. Kartik, what's your, what's your final comments on today's announcement and if you could kind well, that's of sum it up that's what i was going to come on to it's scary it's really really worrying um and i was having this discussion with my girlfriend this morning and she feels very very politically apathetic about everything and a lot of people are going to go through that over the next couple of months but one thing which we covered last week and one thing which we think we should cover this week is that trust in politics and politicians is really, really important. So I would encourage everyone to do their reading and find their political, their, their sort of political leaning. You don't just decide at 17 whether you go right or left as someone on politics show yeah. like, decided to remark. But... I would encourage everyone to do their reading and find where they sit and don't necessarily lose faith uh, in good politics because it can come about, um, but it's definitely not, in my opinion, in Liz Truss. Next couple of months are going to be very tough. Um, do everything to support your, the community around you. Um, so, yeah, that, that's that's my opinion. My, and my, and my opinion is that I I firmly believe that the idea of what goes around comes around. And I firmly believe that ultimately the job of government is to um, work for the people. And if you've got a government that isn't working for people, then you sure as hell aren't going to have that government in that position, whether that be through multiple cabinet reshuffles, leadership changes, complete general election overhaul, changing party. I don't mm -hmm. think that you can sustain a government that can't fulfill its role which primarily should be to work for the people um which this government won't be in my opinion which it, yeah which it won't be but we we can speculate but i think the better thing and this is why i actually said to my mother is i think let's just look at how things go and we can judge on the actions not on what we think might happen but i i do agree with you that is very scary but yeah, but that is it for today. And we've gone a bit over our usual time. We try and keep it to about 45 minutes, but uh, hopefully you guys can't blame us for going a little bit over. Um, on this for, topic on, in particular. On this topic in particular, because I think it's so paramount. And uh, hopefully you guys have kind of enjoyed our little analysis. So uh, I think all it has to say, is that my name's been James Tabor. Um, I keep saying that it's been James Tabor, it, it still is, it still is. And uh, <laughs> I've been joined, my name's Kartik Sawney, and uh, and we've been the Politics on Draft podcast. Please follow us on uh, Twitter, uh, p slash on slash uh, draft. Uh, follow us, or you can get us on Spotify, uh, Amazon, pretty much wherever you get a podcast, you can get it, uh, get it from. And we will be doing TikTok. We will be doing TikTok. Eventually. That's Eventually. Kartik's job, so we can get on that. Once I can figure out how to edit the smaller clips, then yeah, Absolutely. we can do TikTok. We will see you next week for another uh, another episode of Politics on Draft. And remember, if it's politics, you have to have it on Draft. Bye-bye. <laughs>